are listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond, and this is the March 14th edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. This is Melissa. This is Jesse And Francesca. And welcome to this week's wild ride of Municipal Mania. On our last episode, we closed out with a brief discussion about what is the biggest factors that drives parents away from Richmond Public Schools, facilities, academics, or safety. As we are about to be in the thick of budget season, we wanted to take a moment or an hour many, many moments, to explore some... 60 uh, of them, to be precise. (laughs) 60 moments to explore some of the different issues in Richmond that impact children's ability to thrive. So, on this week's edition of Municipal Mania. Mania, mania, mania. Uh, We are going to deconstruct the whole child. Theory? Is it a theory? I feel like I should add theory because I'm not talking about taking apart a whole child. I'm not Hannibal Lecter here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go with model. Whole child model. There we go. We are going to talk about what the heck it means, period, and what it means for Richmond. So first, what is this whole child model? According to the Association of Supervision and Curriculum Development, or ASCD, the whole school, whole community, and whole child model is a collaborative approach to learning and health where different communities, government, nonprofit, business, and community members must come together to coordinate policies, processes, and practices to ensure that all children are healthy, safe, engaged, supported, and challenged. Centers for Disease Control, or the CDC, identified 10 focuses to ensure the whole child is being served. Health education, nutritional environment and services, employee wellness, social and emotional school climate, physical environment, health services, counseling, psychological and social services, community involvement, family engagement, physical education, and physical activity. Basically, the whole child model does not look at just what happens in the classroom as necessary for student success. It extends to all factors that exist in a child's environment. According to Charles Bosch's analysis, healthier students are better learners. No matter how well teachers are prepared to teach, no matter what accountability measures are put into place, no matter what governing structures are established for schools, educational progress will be profoundly limited if students are not motivated and able to learn. In practice, this means that even with the best curriculum and the best teachers, if kids are going to school sick, hungry, traumatized, etc., they will not learn to the best of their ability. To make substantive progress, we must have programs in place and resources available to support all aspects of a child's life. During Mayor LaVar's students' campaign, we heard a lot of rhetoric, including the verbiage, whole child. But what does that model mean to him and his team in practice? What tells us most about Mayor Stoney's vision is probably the original education compact, or the OG. (laughs) Or that'd be the OEC. The OGEC. The OEC. Anyway. In case you missed it, the Education Compact is a document that codifies collaboration between the Mayor's Office, School Board, and City Council. The original document has three goals. Institutionalized collaboration, set and achieve transformational goals for our children, families, schools, and communities, and develop a shared funding strategy. Ultimately, the Education Compact passed as a document really just to institutionalize collaboration around all important topics. The rest was gutted out. The academic goals were removed following community feedback that this was overreach from the mayor's office into the school board's role. 
Under the Education Compact, there are quarterly joint meetings among school board, council, and the mayor's office. It established the Education Compact team, which is an assembly of different community stakeholders, including nonprofits, religious organizations, parents, and businesses. And it established a children's cabinet that is supposed to foster intra-agency communication. You can already see how this is in line with the whole child model because it focuses on collaboration. Even though this part did not pass the final version, the transformational goals outlined in the education compact tell the story of how Mayor Stoney and his team see the whole child model as it relates to Richmond. So is the children's cabinet like a Harry Potter closet? Bye. It's the little closet underneath the stairs where the Dursleys would jam Harry, you know, because they Mm -hmm. didn't want him in with the regular folks. Is that Mm -hmm. what you do when Mm -hmm. the kids are acting bad? You shove him in the children's cabinet? Or is it the Narnia cabinet? (gasps) I was going to say Narnia. Yeah, yeah, that is a wardrobe. I've been waiting for a portal to another land to open up forever, and if it's in the children's cabinet, sign me up. The transformational goals that were removed are grade level academic achievement where Richmond matches or exceeds Virginia achievement levels, support the whole child with strong support and enrichment services for all children, including reducing child poverty by 50% by 2030 and mitigating the impact of poverty on learning. RPS becoming a system of choice for families, teachers, and children with enrollment of school age children in RPS at the same level as state average and growing enrollment. The document goes on to describe what specifically it means for Richmond to support the whole child. It includes improving access to quality care for young children, universal access to quality after school and summertime opportunities for all children K through 12. All students graduate with a plan, tracking student progress across agencies, trauma-informed family-based wraparound services, healthy physical and mental development of children, promoting parent engagement and addressing parent needs, and reducing family poverty rates and building community wealth. All of these items are localization of what ASCD and CDC outlined in the whole school, whole child, whole community model. By looking at education through the whole child model lens, we can see that there must be collaboration across a broad range of services to support children of Richmond to thrive. At a recent city council meeting, Ann Wortham went off during citizen comment because Mayor Stoney and other elected officials said Richmond's children and students are Richmond's most important assets. She was upset because she felt like that alienated everyone who was not a child and many in need were left out and many with resources to give were also left out. She said it was divisive language. I personally really, really disagree with Ann Wortham because I do believe Richmond's children need to be a central focus of every decision we make as city government. For far too long, we've put development and trickle-down economics at the center of our focus. But to be successful, we cannot narrowly define Richmond's children as just textbooks, teachers, and functional facilities. We have to look at the whole child and address all the things that impact our children, which includes every other group of Richmonders. This is not just about one group of people. This is about everyone working together towards a common goal and purpose we believe in, children and our future succeeding. So I'm gonna put my mini soapbox away, but I wanna start the discussion by asking, what are all of the city services and needs and people that are really impacted that need to be addressed to help improve children's abilities to learn in Richmond? Well, can the first thing be just removing Ann Wortham from the city? (laughs) Cause y'all can't see my face right now, but my nose all wrinkled up. It is, I totally agree. I mean, not with removing her, I don't care what they do with her, but for her to stand up, uh, for her to stand up and say that she felt alienated because people are walking around saying put Richmond kids first. 
She specifically even said that last year she came in front of council and said that last year she knew where her place was in Richmond, and now yeah. she feels like she doesn't know where her place is. I'm like, yeah. girl, you are a well-off <clears throat> white woman. Your place is everywhere. But snap, snap, snap. Mm. Yeah. All the snaps. I, my thing with that is just that the same, <clears throat> while she may have been just one person that stood up before council, she's not the only person that feels that way. And there are many people who feel like right now this current, not necessarily argument, but discussion that we're having as a community, as a city of Richmond, about our schools and about our facilities and about our kids, whether you have kids that go to the schools or not, are there are a lot of people that feel like that doesn't concern me or that doesn't affect me, or I don't wanna be getting an extra meal tax because your schools are crappy, or I don't wanna pay an extra whatever it is because I don't have a kid that goes to your school. And that, while that may be true, or you may feel like you're being targeted in some way or what have you, which is another comment the young man made that stood up that advocated for the bike trails, you know, and he said, he made some comment, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, while I do agree that we need things for the school, we also need bike trails, so can you do that too? And it's like, we have, everybody has needs, like there's lots of things that need to be done, but it's not kids or nothing. We're just saying that historically, the public school system has been put on the back burner over and over and over through budget cycle after budget cycle, the schools are falling apart, the kids are struggling, and it's not just the schools, it's a majority of where these kids live. The city that they live in consistently shows them where they matter and where they don't. See, and I think that there's absolutely a place to find money in the budget for things like bike trails, mm -hmm. but it needs to be things that we look at it through the lens of, again, what's going to help the children. And that should be having safe access to bike trails that get them to their schools, that get parents to jobs where maybe if they don't have a car, you know, our bus system or our bike trail system is actively helping people cross the city safely to get gainful employment or access parts of Richmond that they didn't originally access. So when we look at where are these green or these safe bike lanes and everything, are they in places where it's majority of people don't have a car mm -hmm. and maybe not by choice? And are they helping people and kids from an area with, that we've typically ignored get somewhere else? And I think that's where we have to really frame everything that we're looking at. And that's really where the whole child model comes in is saying we need to find money for all of these different things. But in everything we spend should be focused at using those in a way and levering those do dollars where we're supporting the bigger picture. And to those folks who say, well, I don't have a child in RPS. This doesn't matter to me. Yes, it does. It absolutely does matter to you because you are a cog in the system, the wheel that makes the whole child. Everybody in this community Mm -hmm. affects every child you may not realize it but you are with supporting infrastructure it it is you you know just because you don't have a child in richmond public schools or you don't have a child at all you still are a part of the community and what you have to see and i think that's something that we as i think the united states as a whole has lost our view on that we put so much effort into so many things but when it comes to investing in our children if you can't afford to go above and beyond those kids don't get what they deserve or they right. don't get you know the bare minimum is ne is not good enough anymore and that's the problem and so if you don't have kids in the school that's fine but you still pay taxes and those kids that are going through those schools that your taxes are supposed to be helping contribute are now going to be the people that are going to work at the stores that you shop at and they're going to be the managers of those companies that you may work at or that you may patronize they're going to be the people in your community that are your next generation
generation of business owners, of entrepreneurs, of workers, of white collar and blue collar workers. And so if they don't get the foundation that they need and we push them straight into this school to, to prison pipeline, and then you ask why my neighborhood is so filled with crime or why my neighborhood doesn't have, we don't have producers of, of income or we don't have all these other things, it's because we, we didn't start with the kids and the kids have been neglected from the moment we put them in school to the moment that they get out and we don't support them as a community and we don't look out for them in the school systems, we don't look out for them in the community, we don't look out at them in our neighborhoods, at home, and then you wonder why this kid is busting your window out and stealing your radio out of your car because you haven't supported him, you haven't told him that he mattered, you haven't told him that nobody, no one's watching him, no one's paying any attention to him. And his value in the community is either unworthy or you don't care. Well, and I think that people need to look and see, you know, just because I don't have kids and hopefully will never have kids (laughs) in any school system. You can borrow mine. (laughs) I I would take that one. He's pretty cool. (laughs) Unless I could, like, have a guaranteed promise my kid would be like her kid. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Carter. So for me, I even look at it as it's such a waste of my taxpayer dollars when my city decides to put money into things like a training camp or a UCI bike race because there's not a return on investment really and not one that we can tangibly see like the whole idea of well this will bring more tax dollars that's a promise that we have not seen come to fruition so let's look at what tax dollars we have and spend them appropriately because we need people to stay in the city to keep paying those from the sewer system to sidewalks to gas in a school bus all of these things affect our children and our own well-being. And so, a revolving door of people in and out of the city does not help us get there any faster. Yeah. And that should be, we've said this before, that should be one of the things we look at. We have people that come to Richmond during a certain part of their time, their life, and they put roots down. And then as soon as they start having kids, they move out to the county because they don't want to send their kids, or they send their kids to private school or something. You know, they don't rely on public schools. and. That's an issue. So let's unpack that baggage to find out why. And it's not because, just because the facilities are crappy. It's a different, a whole different, it's just a layer of problems. So can I just kind of take this to a place? I think we're talking about a lot of the different problems and they keep coming back to things of like poverty and different circumstances that people are in and helping support people, mm-hmm. not just leaving them out to kind of dry and figure it out. So I was on Facebook. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the shock and appall. And I was looking at a thread that was actually about schools. And I wanted to read a comment here. I don't want to put anybody on blast necessarily because they were talking about how Richmond schools don't come anywhere close to the county schools. And I want to read this and just talk about, though, how do we feel about this? Somebody said that none of the schools come close to the county schools. And somebody's response was pretty much, I'm now editing this for content of things I can't say on the radio. No kidding. A higher percentage of kids on reduced free lunch will do that. Mm. The only reason most of us are even in this conversation is because we won the parent lottery and we're not frantically trying to ensure that our kids enjoy the same institutional advantages from which ourselves benefited. For me, on one hand, yeah, the reason that you're applying and able to go look at other schools is because you're privileged and there's an acknowledgement of that fact by this individual. On the other side of it, and I think this is something that we all have a tendency to jump into, is to say that the reason that we don't have good schools or test scores is because we have kids in poverty. And I think that's something I want to kind of just dissect and see how you guys feel about it. Because when we do talk about the whole child, there are a lot of things that are impacting kids of kids that are circumstances in poverty. So maybe we can go a little bit further and talk about it's not just people not having money. It's about a lot of different things and facets of poverty. It's not that surface level to me. Because I don't want to just say poor people can't have good test scores, because that's not what this is. No. And that's absolutely not a truth. 
Exactly. I, I think that we need to look and dig in a little bit into what are the things in Richmond that we are trying to support by supporting a whole child and why are these things that are impacting kids? So I think one I would probably put on the table, for example, is I'll have to, speaking to what it is, it's not the fact that kids are on free and reduced lunch. It's mm -mm. the fact that kids are hungry. Mm -hmm. They're coming to school hungry. That's the need that we're trying to address. And you can't focus and you can't learn and you can't sit still when you're hungry. No. Because as an adult, I can't do those things if I haven't eaten. How do we expect a kid? I know. That's why there's a myriad of it. snacks spread across the desk now. Right. <laughs> can't we are the snackiest crew. Snack. <laughs> no. I mean, but that, that's true. If, if a kid comes to school hungry, he can't focus, he can't do what he needs to do to, to so it's not that the kid is necessarily in poverty it's it's how that it's poverty symptom. yeah it's, it's a symptom of that how how does that poverty affect this child so just because a child may live in public housing or or so on and so forth it's when a kid has come to school and they haven't slept because there's roaches crawling over them at night or that there's you know my my cousin freddie the rat that chases me around my room half the night and i haven't gotten any sleep or i can't focus because even if I get to school, let's say I've gotten to school and I am not hungry, I've eaten, but the smell of mold gives me a headache while I'm there and I still can't focus. It's it's not just poverty that, it's the symptoms of poverty that affect kids. They go to school and, I mean, just think about some of these kids that get there, they go through what they go through just to get to school and they don't have the supplies that they need to be successful once they get there. Because a mom, I, mean, I just have one, and I know that school supply list tears me up every year um, at the beginning of school. Like I don't, I've never understood why my kid needs 28 sticks of glue. By my mom being a public school teacher, I know exactly where those glue sticks go because mm -hmm. while, and it's, it's almost considered this thing of you know that you're gonna have kids, and that's something I hate to say that, but my mom has spent so many paychecks on providing supplies for her school, for her classroom, because she wants her kids to be successful and they need newspapers, and the school can't afford to purchase newspapers for her kids to do research on because they can't afford to have computers in their classroom to search the wide web for the things that they need, the resources. So it's cheaper for them to have a 50 cent newspaper per desk that they can use for the week to clip her out articles and write things on them. And so she buys the newspapers and she buys the highlighters and she buys the paper and she buys the binders and all these things. And so when a teacher sends out a list for 28 glue sticks, it's not necessarily, and I know parents, it hurts you to buy them, but do the best you can because it's you're not just buying them for your kid. You probably are also supporting the kid in that class who can't bring two glue sticks to class, much less 28. And so it, she's not just supporting, they're not asking you to support just your child. That's most of the time what those lists are, they're, you're, you're getting a support the whole child as a community, as a classroom, because you know that they're gonna need glue sticks and they're gonna need all these other things. And the more that you can send, the less that that teacher has to send out of her poor, poor salary to, and sometimes even feed the kids. My mom has a, a food chest in her classroom where she feeds kids sometimes because they can't afford the lunch once they get there or they haven't eaten breakfast at all. I think it all. was Dorothy McAuliffe that said, kids can't have a hunger for knowledge when they're just plain hungry. They can't, they, you just can't, you can't. So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's schools, we've seen things across the country where there's, you know, teachers that have, you know, needs closets where there's, they, the kids can come and get, you know, canned foods or, or even clothes. There's some sometimes. schools that actually have washers and dryers because there mm -hmm. are kids that don't have access to have their clothes clean and they won't come to school 
because of that. Their clothes are dirty. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. And that's that's understanding that that's what the whole child means. That's understanding your demographic in your school or in your community and recognizing those needs and meeting them. And it has nothing to do with being more needy or being needs based or anything else. That's just relating to the demographic that you have chosen to serve. And I think it's really looking at it in two ways is first of all, how do we address the situations that get people into poverty and how do we help them get out of poverty? And then on the other side of it, how do we address the symptoms of people while they are in a, a poverty situation that are impacting the kids and themselves? Girl, that's a whole nother show. Because and, and that's that's show. that's what I see the whole child is. It's really looking at both <laughs> both sides of that spectrum yeah. because it's not just about are the kids at school safe? Are, are is there a concern about gun safety in in schools? It's not just while they're in schools. It's also looking at what is crime where they're at home. What what situations are they exposed to that are traumatic at home? And how do we also help people not be in situations where they're in moments of desperation, where they do do a, a break in and need things and have to steal for money? How do we get them access to jobs? How do we get them transit to get to those well, jobs? This is where programs like the Office of Community Wealth Building should step in and be part of this mm-hmm. whole child model as it pertains to Richmond Public Schools, helping families get and maintain jobs and there decent are. ones not just where you know the mom has to work three jobs and isn't there for her child therefore causing stress upon that the creates child. another problem yeah and there are programs out there and i think another thing is totally awareness and i know of this because i worked for this company but partnership for the future has a great program and i think it it definitely acts, it starts to break down helping the whole child to help that child get through school and so partnership for the future if you're not familiar with it look it up I was an intern coordinator during my college years for this um, program and it's amazing it takes high school kids and it places them in a huge company or corporation within Richmond gives them a job at that company and then you have an intern coordinator that coaches them and helps them with best practices at work and trains you how to be a good employee and how to understand and and develop develop a career and you get job training on the job and I'm not talking about like these are like whatever jobs like I was an intern coordinator and I was I had a child that was at MCV two or two or three kids at MCV hospital I had someone that was at the American Civil War Museum I mean I had kids all over the place I had Markel they're putting them in great places giving them great experience and they also help them with the college process the last two years and so then they go they start visiting the colleges the schools and they start but you have to apply to this program it's a limited amount of space but programs like that are out there and that addresses the, the it's not just oh we'll give you a scholarship because you did well or you know you wrote an essay well so great it's we're gonna look at this from a bit we're gonna help you provide for yourself later so we're gonna lay the steps I mean and they they went through classes we had to teach them how to write a resume how to apply to a job properly how to be able to deal with authority figures and not take it personally that's yeah. another thing too mm-hmm. communication period like that's right. something that I was doing for a while was teaching kids debate and what I found when I was talking talking to the kids and they were mostly middle schoolers a couple had gone into high school and it was over at the girls and boys club and the Salvation Army girls and boys club over in like Churchill area and something that I found when trying to teach somebody a line of argumentation we had to go all the way back to just critical analysis and communicating points and asking them a question of like well why is this person's like, why do you say that their hair is red? Well, because that's what current color red is. And trying to get kids to realize, you know, that's an answer, but how do you get to that next step? Yeah. 
And when you're trying to advocate for yourself, you have to be able to communicate those things. And to your point with authority figures, how to communicate in those situations and not just sit down, be quiet, take your SOL. How to effectively communicate also how to mm-hmm. control yourself if somebody or a customer sets you off so that you know, okay, I got to keep it cool, let it roll off my back and continue to be successful at my do- job, not just walk out and be done with it because somebody insulted me. These are a lot of things that life doesn't always necessarily teach you, so somebody else has to do that. And there are lots of these programs, but nobody knows about them mm-hmm. because... They aren't given the information, say, at the beginning of the school year. So at the beginning of the school year, if somebody can hand out a freaking pamphlet that says, hey, look, here's a list of nonprofits and churches and other organizations that are here to give your children on-the-job training or college prep or vocational prep, whatever it is that they need. These things exist. It needs to go further than a pamphlet, though. Oh, sure. And I think that this is where it comes in to – and I think this is where it comes into the idea of how to use schools to address the whole child and help support parents because there are parents out there that are struggling to read. There are parents out there that struggle with math, that are struggling with the same exact skills their kids are. Yeah, and I, I think when we talked to you last week about why do community schools matter, this is partially why. Our schools need to be facilities and resource centers because we need these things in the communities. We need teachers that are able to go and, and go to where the kids are at, go to where the parents are at. And consistent faces so that parents who might not be trusting so much know that they're going to see the same person, they're going to interact with the same teacher over and over again so that they build that level of trust and aren't as scared or aren't as um, hesitant to ask for the services. If there's a consistency there, it's it's much easier to deal with somebody that you know in your community that's there to provide that. That's true. And, And I think another thing I've heard several times, I've had several parents contact me this year to try to get me to help assist them in communicating with their school because they've gone several times and they haven't gotten the results that they feel like they should get or they don't feel like their student, especially that's in special special education, is not getting the response that they need to get and they feel like they need a school advocate. That in and of itself should be wholly and solely embarrassing to the administration of any of those schools that you have a parent that feels like they have to seek outside help from a student advocate because this parent or grandparent or which usually happens in these situations someone else is coming to this school to try to reach you to talk to you about their kids IEP that's not being met and it's on paper that this child is supposed to have you know pull out services for testing and additional study, you know, time, whatever the case may be, well, we just don't have enough resources to do that. Or, well, we'll we're doing it, but your child has a behavioral problem or a behavioral issue, or maybe you need to have them put on different medication. Or I think we've gotten so wrapped up as a society in, if a kid can't sit still, give them a a pill. Well, we're sitting here trying to conform children to what we think they should be doing. And that is not whole child. That is squashing who they actually are. We need to be working with the child's personality, their limitations if there are some. And, you know, this could be from my background in performance management for work. And the way I look at it is also we need to figure out how to remove every obstacle and excuse to really understand what we're addressing. Because, for example, I think I saw in fall 2017, there was an article that came out about how there's now a partnership to help kids get glasses in RPS. And I know this is a program that used to exist and I think is now coming back. Yeah. 
And as somebody who's worn glasses or who wore glasses, hey, LASIK, since second grade, though, thank goodness I had parents that had glasses and had the resources to be able to realize this, the circumstances that was <clears throat> impacting things. Yeah. Because... It, that's not necessarily something that people think of. It's something that a lot of us take for granted, the ability to have access to an eye doctor every year. And all of these things that are, if it's whether it be glasses, whether it be getting counseling that you need, whether it be getting food, these are all basic needs I feel like that we need to address and have addressed to truly understand what is this individual child's obstacle. Because in a world where there's so many different things, it's just going to be somebody's opinion about roulette what's today's opinion on what the problem is. And if we're running around constantly trying to plug up our finger into whatever damn the problem is today, we're never going to actually make progress because it's going to be us running around with our hair, like a chicken with our head cut off, trying to address every little thing instead of proactively trying to get everybody to a place where these problems that we all think and feel are basic services and things we should all have access to, or people assume everybody has access to, those have to be addressed to really understand where this child is coming from. That's a big one. And I, that's a that's a big part of, I think, a lot of the issues that happen with kids that show up to school and people just assume so much. They don't really understand what it's taken to get that child on the bus or wherever to get to school that day and then to be there and get through the day. If you're just joining us, you are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond. This is going to go into a story about a recent experience I'm having. But we need to hold those who are in charge of making sure that our children are getting what they need. We need to hold them accountable for doing their jobs. So here's my story. Since I've moved into my new house, truancy officers have shown up at my house yeah almost weekly looking for the two children that used to live there that haven't lived there for almost two years. Wow. They drop off flyers. They drop off letters. They mail stuff to the house all the time. I have contacted the number on those flyers more times than I can count and gotten a busy signal or gotten ring, 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 and no voicemail. I have contacted the email. Nothing. It's broken. I have contacted my school board representative. Guess who showed up at my door last week two times in one day? Truancy officers. Wow. They don't know where these children are, and I've been telling them for the better part of a year, they don't live here. You should find them. Find them because clearly these children are suffering. The things that show up in the mail for them are letting me know that these kids are not getting the services that they deserve. And I think that people need to not assume that the kids aren't in school or the kids aren't performing because the parents don't care. Right. Because we have no idea in your situation or any other situation is the reason that the parent isn't engaged because there's a language barrier and we don't have enough translators. Is it because they're working three jobs? Mm -hmm. Is it because they're having to fight the way on the bus? Like a lot of different things. They may have even informed the school, hey, we have moved. But somebody along the way has forgotten about these kids. Yeah. And, and they're not listening to the people who are trying to help them find these children. And so from what I remember also, so you moved into that house, or you almost moved into it over the summer. Mm -hmm. And they've been coming there since the beginning of the school year in September. Yes. So now, at the time of this recording, six months have gone by to where they continue to try to find kids that have not lived there in two years. Right. And I've told them 
over and over and over again. And they're still continuing to some level go to school because there are things coming from the school they're getting report that would be cards. indicative wow. that they're attending something. My address. But so if I'm getting report cards to my address and I'm returning them they're to RPS. They're not getting to the kids. They're not getting to the kids. They're not getting to the parents who are supposed to sign them and turn them back in. So nobody is saying, hey, did you not get your child's report card? How come I don't have your signed returned report card? Even just that. No, they're coming to me and I'm returning to sender. And it and could nobody's be, doing anything. And it could be something where, you know, the parent could have ended up having to go to jail for a period of time and they might be with a grandparent there's so many hypothetical scenarios that we could run through about the situations that are going on and at the end of the day i feel like this is a situation where we really need to look at how are all of our city agencies running in coordination and communication with each other how and is anybody supposed to help anybody if you're email is broken if your phone never gets answered if your voicemail is full well, and and I, I feel like this should go this should be stopped way before the truancy officer though like the of fact course. that the truancy officer that's that to me is a place of last resort and it's an absolute shame that we're getting that response it's also for me a place of what are we doing in the schools to reach out to parents and how are we defining parent engagement and not just parent engagement at school levels but how are we looping in social services if there's services that need to be given to people? Who's identifying the problems here? Because in that situation, is the teacher sitting there just assuming this is because the parents and the kids don't care? I, I really have a hard time believing that that's probably what's going on. I could just be an optimist here. I would hope that's not what's going on. But then how, what's the teacher supposed to do about it? The only recourse is to put it into a truancy officer situation. This should be a place where we're able to have the resources available to plug in and address it long before we get to six months of truancy officer visits to help the family situation. And that's where I think, you know, this isn't even just about the kids being the only asset in Richmond. It's, it's about looking at so many things. Kids are almost an indicator of what the problems are because we can truly see how they're impacted Yes. And then start to branch out from there and address those other things. It's like kids are this weird microchasm of where everything that's bad in Richmond hurts. And everything that's good can make them flourish. So if we look at them as kind of a proof point, and I say that not in a very like analytical way, but look at the kids and their success and understanding what are possible things that they're overcoming. I mean, when you, Melissa, and I, we went to Gilpin Court and we're door knocking, I couldn't imagine growing up in a situation where I, I would have to step over adults that are passed out in a stairwell just to go to school. But we saw it. Where there's children riding their bikes around folks. Flies that just up. come out of all of the cat food that's sitting out there. Where you see doors that have been kicked in. Garbage that has clearly not been picked up by the city in a month. How are you expecting anybody, anybody, let alone a child, to flourish in a situation like that? And, and then that is a government, city government sanctioned situation. And then we sit down with a woman in her apartment where you can see it's all exposed piping, which goes back to the Cinder heat situation. Walls, and tile floors. And in talking to her, cold. listening to the conversation and the traumatic experiences she's been through in her life and the kids that are in her family that look up to her as a parent. It became very apparent to me because we were in there for a little while and about halfway through, it, it dawned on me that she's suffering from a mental illness. 
like the way that she was talking in the present and the past and mixing it all up and together. And it was very erratic of a conversation. She was suffering from some things personally. And I wouldn't doubt that probably the kids she's related to are also suffering from things. And I think that's when it really hit me of how, how would I have gone to school in this? You know, we talked last week about Chesterfield County. And I mean, the school I went to is only 10 years old at the time, which is newer than most schools here. But at the same time, would that have mattered if those are the situations that before I get on the bus in the morning and when I walk off the bus in the afternoon and the entire day, that's what I'm thinking about and that's what I'm going back to. Or kids that are helping their parents battle with depression because they can't get up and go to work that day. Kids that are having to grow up entirely too quickly. Kids that are raising their siblings. And I think that's why it. we have to figure out facilities is a part of it, but well, we have to have training, too, for every, every employee service. of any city service that deals with these children to be able to identify that there is a problem other than, well, he just doesn't want to do it. Because I can guarantee you 99.9% .9 of the time, that is not the issue. The child almost always wants to learn. I think every city service needs to be recalibrated to make sure that all of our programs are going towards addressing things that are impacting kids as one, but things that impact kids are so much bigger than just even the kids. Well, that, that brings us to a whole other segment of where the money goes and why we continue to give money to programs and to offices in the government that don't show the fundamental outcomes that we need in our community and we continue to budget these, these offices the money and give them the things that they ask for and there's no process for analysis to see if they're improving or if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, if they're being held accountable for the things they're supposed to be doing, and are they doing it just to get a paycheck or are they doing it for the greater good of what they're supposed to be, their assignment, what they're supposed to be doing. At the same time, I also think about the private sector and there are people that I even look at that I work with Hey, y'all, if you're listening, you're probably not one of these people. <laughs> so there are people, some of us care so, so much every single day and put every single bit of ourselves into it. There are other people who don't. But at the same time, we, we get a high performance and we're able to get the things we need to done. What I kind of look at and what I think ideal worlds, the whole child, what I think that that really is trying to do is create a, a, a strategic vision. And when I say that, what I mean, I'm going to have to use like an example of my own company and my own situation of what we do every day. And we have an internal statement and it's customer centric, agent powered. And that is a guiding principle by which every single decision in the company, it doesn't matter if you work with them, if you are doing something that's IT, it doesn't matter where you're at in the company. Every decision you're supposed to make, every decision you do make, is supposed to be geared towards that one strategy. And then, of course, there's like incentive programs and reviews in your annual performance review that really look at how are you impacting that strategic vision and how are you successfully accomplishing your results using that strategic vision. And that's where I kind of see how can we get our all of our city services and everybody in the government towards that same strategic vision. If it, if it is whole child, maybe we need to expand on what does that mean for us and not just use it as some platitude that sounds awesome, but really put into terms, what does it mean for the Department of Public Utilities? Something that maybe a lot of us think isn't really something about children, but what does it mean for them to support the whole child? Is it making sure that there's not potholes 
on bus routes? Is it making sure that there's not a bunch of like gross couches sitting somewhere? Like what is their version of that? And how do we translate that? And I think that's kind of what I see the mayor should be doing. And I I personally feel like him and his team is starting and has been trying to get that off the ground. But we need, again, city council, we need school board, we need everybody who's involved to see that same common vision. But instead, what we see is when a budget comes out, very concerned and hyper-concerned about specific neighborhoods even. And I get it. You're a city council person. You've been elected by that place. But that's why I think this thing extends to the greater community. And that's what I hope people start to take away and realize is sometimes your neighborhood might not be addressed that year. And there might be things that are going to go untaken care of for a little bit of time. And we need to get there, but we need to have a big plan and big vision that we all can rally around and start to implement. Get to a place where kids and their families are actually getting the resources they need. Because it's not just even though like kids in poverty that need access to after school care. It's not just kids that are living in the housing projects that are going to benefit from these things. This is really everybody in Richmond if we're able to enact and realize a vision of what it means for Richmond to take care of the whole child. I was reading something and I thought this particular set of words was very, very accurate. A holistic, broad-based set of interventions. Interventions. I mean, that's, that's a big word, to establish the conditions of success for our children in school. I like that. Interventions. That's an active word, not mm-hmm. passive. I think that's the big thing, mm-hmm. is it's not about waiting for a parent to go come forward. This, go find these kids that this truancy officer can't find. What You should be worried about why you have a child that comes to your class and periodically apparently is missing days because they don't send a truancy officer because you missed a day. No, they're so, clearly yeah. missing days yeah, of school. And this is highly concerning to me, not because I know this child, but because this child may someday affect my life somehow. It doesn't matter. Somebody's missing this child. This child, these two children, excuse me, are falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And big it's, time. If there's one, it's it's like roaches, y'all. It's if you see one, <laughs> there yeah. is more than yeah. one problem. Well, here. this is telling me that it, there is a truancy epidemic in Richmond, mm-hmm. and that either there's not enough people to really deal with how many kids are missing or, from school, or the or the automated response is just to send a truancy officer out, right? No. Just to send them out. But the thing is, is that if your response system is not working, how can anybody help? If I can't yeah. make a phone call and leave a voicemail, yeah, your system is broken. And, and see, if and you've I think call that school and you've told them, oh my Stop gosh, sending the report cards to me, yes. and they haven't made list or note of it. That means that somebody, whoever is in charge of record keeping, um, whatever, whoever that is now in, the, in that particular school, you've got this call, you've heard this, and you're still not doing anything about it. Don't put an address in there. And I think this comes back down to what you're also saying with intervention. Because, again, this is a very passive response. Yeah, it's passive. Very it's passive, like, like waiting. It's not my job. Mm-hmm. So Right. It's always, that's not my job. Yeah, that's not my job. I know you got the report card again, but that's not my job. You know, I'm I'll like, just, I have to have At this point, I'm like, whose job is it? I'm going to get my, you know, super sleuth hat on and magnifying glass and get out there and try to find these kids myself. Because you're getting all their mail. I'm getting all of their mail, the their report cards. Aren't getting their... It. The parents don't know, whoever the parent or the caregivers or whatever. 
They have no idea what's going on. And the kids are missing day. There's so many levels to this. One, why are the kids missing so much time out of school? And two, the parents aren't aware of these things because they're not getting proper communication from the school because it's coming to the wrong address. I mean, three, do they have an address? Do they? They may not have one. And they may have been just using my address. Mm -hmm. And if so, if that's the case, if they've been continuing to use this address mm -hmm. that they no longer live at, that also should tell you that there is an issue. And I think to bring this even to a big scale of, about to get real, guys. Real, real. Go. Not like we haven't been this whole time. Even looking at a bigger scale, first of all, if kids aren't going to school, they're not learning things, clearly. Or at least not the things that they're going to be taught in school. I would be willing to bet that they also are probably behind in their ability to read and very basic things that they need in life. And in conversations I've had, I've been trying to find this uh, statistic online somewhere so I can validate it versus just quoting someone I was talking to that's the head of an organization. And what he was telling me is that one of the biggest indicators to project prison populations is third grade reading SOL scores. That's it. First of all, take a moment to think about what that means is we're projecting prison populations mm -hmm. off of can kids read when they are 10 years old. That's it. So even if you're somebody who doesn't care about kids, who doesn't care about what happens to people when they go home in the projects, if you don't care about any of these things, that means that we're saying mm -hmm. if kids can't read, they're going to be criminals. And that should terrify you because that's not what anybody wants. People don't want to have people who are in a situation where they're committing crimes. They don't want to be victims of crimes. We don't want to be having to spend how many more tax dollars? I know right now um, Rise for Youth is doing a really great work trying to stop more juvenile detention centers from being built in Virginia. We can all agree that when we look at even just for-profit prison models and even the ones that are run by our government and paid for by the government directly, these are horrible conditions for people to be in. Mm -hmm. We don't want more of this. And how do we prevent it? How do we intervene early enough to help kids? Well, this is why, Ms. Wortham, this is why you, as a citizen who may not be directly a student, this is why you matter in this community of kids, because whether you have them in your house or not, whether you're a student yourself, their outcome is going to affect you in some way in your future and in theirs too. And that's it. So you can feel like you don't have a place or you don't know where you are. And there's a lot of you out there that are just like her. Plug it and find a way to provide a resource to somebody in your neighborhood, in your community that needs something. I don't care if it's putting a library box outside of your house. Do something. All right. So we've been talking about a lot of different things and probably been all over the place doing kind of a little storytelling and thought process while we're thinking about it all. Venting. Venting. <laughs> But let's go back to what we were talking about with the ASCD. So they were the ones with the whole child, whole school, whole community model. What they identified were really five places and things that need to be addressed for kids to be entirely thriving. So going back to those, they were health, safety, engagement, supported, and challenged in schools. So let's go through and to tie it all together, go through each one of these five things and talk about what are the things in Richmond that that means. So let's start with health. So what do we need to see health-wise that's addressed for kids 
that would qualify for this whole, whole child thing. Meals. Meals. Meals and the glasses program. I think also making sure that we have comprehensive health education for kids and healthy living conversations. Talks about hygiene. Food justice. How to cook. Self, yeah, self-reliance. Yeah. I think even having programs like the RVA Food Justice Alliance, which helps go out and create community gardens. Getting people access to healthy foods because if it's not a grocery store because we keep getting family dollars. These are not real grocery stores. We need real grocery stores in our communities. So then let's go on to safety. I think this is probably going to be a big one because I know we talk about school safety a lot and people think immediately with mass shooters, but I think it's bigger than that, a lot bigger. So the relationship that students have to their resource officer in their school, are they comfortable or are they scared? Are they trusting or are they distrusting? The relationship that you have with the resource officer in your school could impact how your entire day goes as a child, especially if you have frequent interactions with this resource officer because there are a lot of preconceived notions about children that come from the projects. Sometimes resource officers have that in their heads. Well, not only that, sometimes a resource officer is the first person that they see when they enter the school system as they walk through the metal detector. And I think also it goes back into community policing and what relationship police officers have within their community. And then also I would go into violence in our communities and and how are we protecting people against violence? Have the things that have been promised to address crime and help keep people safe, have they been implemented? I don't know. And then I think, you know, this one might not necessarily be what they're going for with safety, but I think it's something that we as Richmond probably need to address with safety. And I think it's housing security and safety and making sure that people have a stable, healthy home to live in. And people are always going to have challenges, but making sure that we have affordable housing communities across the city and not in just concentrated pockets of areas, but making sure that people have the availability of these things where if they want to choose to stay in the community they're in, they have that option. If they want to live in a different part of town, they have that option. But making sure that we have affordable housing so that people have stable living environments. The next one's engagement. So this is actually usually defined in a couple ways. First would be probably parental engagement, but there's also community engagement. So that would be communities and schools, programs such as that, that are hopefully getting other parts of the community, but also government services plugged in when they need to be. Every school should have a PTA, no exceptions, every single school. There is no excuse for a school not to have a parent-teacher association. How are you supposed to engage as a teacher if there's no PTA? How are you supposed to engage with the teacher as a parent if there's no PTA? Sometimes that's the only way, PTA meetings, that some parents can communicate with these teachers because they don't have any other time. If it's not there, a basic resource that in the counties, like we, growing up, I my parents, I'm sure, took for granted the fact that there was going to be a PTA. But here, you can't do that. Because a lot of schools don't have They them. don't have them. And I think we need to redefine engagement because engagement in 2018 might not be a parent showing up and baking 150 star cookies. Right? <laughs> Staring at Francesca because I know she did it. I did it. <laughs> um, not every parent can do that. But I also know Francesca would be the parent that cooked 300 star cookies because she knew one of the kids in her child's class didn't have that as an option. So I think we need to redefine what engagement means for community members. Are there ways that we can connect and be engaged and help, not just in person necessarily? How do we get to parents? Is it just through letters in the backpack? Is it just through truancy officers? It shouldn't be. Sometimes it has to be a knock on the front door. There should be meetings and events. 
in the communities. Use our community resource centers. Use the recreation facilities. Have these things open for people to come in and get resources and get taken care of, but not just for their kids to get an eye check, for example. Maybe they also need something. Maybe there's people to talk to them. Maybe there's parents there or teachers there, that kind of thing. So I think we need to definitely look at what are the engagement programs and how are we facilitating people getting their resources? Yeah, how do we get people to know that there are organizations and programs out there for each and every little problem? Richmond's got a ton. And so that brings us to the next one, supported. So supported, in my opinion, means if it's not a parent that's able to be there, how can we make sure people have the resources that they need, to your point? So that could be after-school tutoring. That could be after-school programs. What enrichment programs? Are there available? How do we get more of those enrichment programs into the communities? As well as supporting organizations that we have that do great work, but that also need help. A lot of the programs that help kids and help parents and help members of the community enrichment, they are not provided by city services. However, they are organizations that receive a portion or a good portion of their funding from the city. At some point, that's not going to continue. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this year and pr- last year previously that those non-departmental funds have been declining. They're going to have to find money elsewhere. And I don't think necessarily that the money should be that the, that the city government has necessarily should be basically outsourcing some of these resources. But there are organizations that do way better. So, for example, Community and Schools is one of them that helps is supposed to help identify a lot of what we've been talking about here of identify issues and challenges but a lot of their funding comes from the city Mm -hmm. so are they able to expand is dependent on the city right now they actually have a couple of communities and schools resource officers or individuals that are having to be shared between schools i don't know how this would exactly work but i feel like there's a lot of organizations in richmond that need help getting grants and they need help getting grants through grant writing and not everybody is good at it oh no that's a highly specialized skill we know this being (laughs) volunteers here at an all-volunteer station where we depend on donor dollars grant writing is a highly sought after skill and people can go out and beat the doors and door knock and we need to figure out how do we get some of our community resources and organizations that much more funding because it's not going to keep coming for the ones that are doing what they're supposed to be doing so then the next part is challenged. So being challenged with the curriculum and challenged in schools. There's well, SOLs people. are not where that's at. That's a, that's a two-sided argument. And just from the educator side of that, you know, when you have a school, especially a school system that has decided to reward you based on those Resolve, you know, that's how you gain your accreditation, cause you to be so SOL focused. That may be okay, but as teachers, I feel confident in saying any good teacher recognizes that you can write a curriculum, you know, on Sunday for the week, and that curriculum may or may not change, but you as a teacher in this class every day with these group of students, you know where your students fall and you know that if you have a student that doesn't test well but they're really bright and they just need a different route or method of questioning or testing but you may not have the time or resources yourself in your classroom then what does that teacher do and that's where challenging a a student in the classroom I find is is the excuse you get from so many educators as well how do I specialize this the whole class may not need this but I have students that may not qualify for the gifted and talented program or they may not have the scores that are high enough to recommend them for the governor's school 
However, I know this student needs more. I just don't have the time or resources to be able to do it. What's there in the school to be able to give those teachers, one, the relief that they need, and two, the resources that they may need to help their students? Well, I think people need to remember SOLs should not just be tests. The SOLs are supposed to be a curriculum. And that's what they're supposed to be, is it's supposed to be a way and a method for, if I move from Fairfax County down to Martinsville, Virginia, I'm going to come in at the same week and be able to pick up right where I left off. And that's the theory behind SOLs. Not, are the kids testing proficiently? Is that a measure of success? That's what it's become. And it's supposed to be where we're looking at this curriculum, and it should be in a way, in my opinion, of how do you produce that, have that information? Are kids able to take it to the next level? Maybe someone like your son is able to say, I'm going to create or my next step is I'm going to work on this project versus having something that's more of a worksheet kind of thing. Also, SOLs leave out critical thinking. Huh. Critical thinking <laughs> skills are not taught in school. That's a huge step towards being an adult. And while I think that being challenged in school should be able to have access to specialty centers throughout all of the schools in the district, critical thinking, you shouldn't have to have a specialty center to learn critical thinking. <laughs> And you shouldn't have to take a special class just for it. No, and it should be applied in everything. That it's you being do. able to understand the why and the how and articulate those things to people and communicate. And there that. are processes that are involved in that. And you can't just throw a kid out into the world with no training in critical thinking and expect them to just pick it up if it's never been a daily part of their lives. So how how are we challenging them at all? So today we spent our time talking about whole child, whole school, whole community, and what that really means and trying to break it down down and understand it in terms of Richmond. So we've already gone through health, safety, engagement, supported, and challenged as the five tenets of what this model really looks at. The reason that we're talking about it, and the big reason, is to start having a conversation with everybody out there and have people start thinking about these things when we are looking at the budget, when we're looking at how we're spending money, when we're hearing about economic development projects that might come up. These are the things that we as citizens and community members need to push back on, is we if, if our government's not going to put it in the forefocus of every single thing, we need to start questioning it because we have the biggest influence on our people that we elect because we have this weird little thing called a vote. That's it. And at the local level, that's where it matters most, and that's where most change is affected. And you've been listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, mania, mania. mania. Here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Thanks for listening and tune in next week when we kick off budget season with a bang. In the meantime, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at RVA Dirt to keep the conversation going. Thank you.